0: The Her Sports Show, live every Wednesday on YouTube and every podcast app. Hello and welcome to The Her Sports Show, our weekly series bringing you the latest and breaking news in the world of women's sport. In today's episode, we discuss the upcoming National Athletics Championships in Morton Stadium this weekend, the rowing World Cup 2 where Ireland brought home so many medals from gold to bronze, Ireland's 1-0 win over the Philippines ahead of their World Cup qualifying match against Georgia, the upcoming Hockey World Cup, and we look ahead to this weekend's All-Ireland Football Championship. This week, we're joined by Jerry McCarthy to discuss the newspaper headlines and the weekend in sport. Jerry, how are you doing?
1: I'm really good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for joining us. There was a, a, a lot of action uh, the last week in, in sport. Uh, a lot of great results uh, internationally and domestically. So uh, did, you, did you get to catch much of it?
1: Uh, I got to catch an awful lot of it uh, via the, the wonderful world of social media uh, between Formula 1, between soccer, between everything that was going on. Obviously, my bread and butter is uh, ladies' football, so um, I was in Clane, County Kildare, which we can talk about later on for Cork and Gall. But the split season and everything that's going on at the moment uh, across the globe, it seems like the split season has made it even busier than, than usual. Uh, but look, it's, it's a good complaint to have, and it's fantastic to have Irish sport uh, front and centre with so many so many of our athletes and so many of our professional sports stars uh, both male and female um, doing particularly well.
0: Yeah no there's certainly uh, there's, there's certainly loads of brilliant results and it seems busier than ever I don't know if it's the fact that we're you know now seem to be coming fully out of the the COVID world but uh, a lot of exceptional results as you said for Irish athletes um, over the weekend. In, uh, in the newspaper headlines I think we can dive right in so both in the Irish Times and The Independent carried the story of Courtney Brosnan uh, who is being tainted to line out in goals for Ireland's upcoming match against uh, Georgia next Monday. So she hasn't had a, a, you know, stability or that much playing time in Everton. Um, in, in some of the highlights here, um, it says this would seem uh, to be 26-year-old Brosnan's chance to confirm her superiority, uh, particularly given she started last Sunday's friendly against the Philippines. She'll be Ireland's number one against Georgia as Ireland's World Cup. Uh, bid gather speed with another three points on offer in gory next monday what do you think of uh, of that selection there i know there's um a couple of other options
1: there certainly are and i think one of the things that a lot of people have been focusing on is that mistake in that own goal back at the 2022 european qualifiers um or the, the World Cup qualifiers sorry they went went against her the own goal
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and like, because women's international football now is so prominent in the media and it's great to see that. It, mistakes like that are actually highlighted more than they ever were and I think it's I think it's been overplayed to be honest with you. I think you make a good point about the problems at Everton because uh, whatever about the men's, uh, the women's side of things have been, were, were diabolical last season for Courtney Brosnan, you know I suppose there was a concern look, with the way the club is being run and the way, you know, not getting first team opportunities compared to our competitors for the Irish number one jersey. Are we dealing with somebody here that's at, at our sharpest? Are we dealing with somebody here that can actually you know, there's somebody that we can rely on but I think personally, I think Vera Paw, from interviewing her previously as well, Vera Paw is very single-minded. And following that, you know, that, that, that own goal and that gaffe, the reaction, she was dropped for the German game, uh, That's mm-hmm. People forget that. But what she did is she just knuckled down in training and just did everything she possibly could to get back into the team. And people forget as well about the performance, the one-all draw, uh, with, or, uh, having lost, you know, getting off, losing to Sweden in the opening game of, of these qualifiers was very, very difficult but I think since then, and, and some of the performances that Ireland have put in, I think her stability at the back, especially for the defence that's in front of her, she's got some very young defenders and some experienced mm-hmm. defenders, but the one-all draw last April, Neve, I think the performance that Courtney put in that day was test, t- proved to Vera Paw that this is the person for me. And Vera yeah, Pa yeah. is very much a person that if she's got somebody she can trust, if she knows somebody that's going to do a job for her, I don't think it really matters about club. It, maybe it should, but she has delivered. And she's somebody that yeah. she can trust, and Vera Paw is all about trust. So for for me, if Brosnan's doing it on the training pitch, if Brosnan is doing exactly what Vera Paw is looking for, if she's bounced back from that, you know, mistake, it's a one, it's a mistake that happens to every keeper. I think she has the number one goalkeepers jersey on merit, and that's the thing with Paw. If she's there on merit, she's going to stay there. You know, she knows she's got competition, but I think Ireland have somebody that they can rely on, somebody reliable, somebody experienced, and uh, I certainly don't think it's 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 going to be any kind of a handicap going to those remaining very very important matches and it's going to come down to September, no matter what. The Georgian game is huge, but, you know, the two games in September really will will dictate what happens with Ireland.
0: Yeah, obviously there was a, a, you know, a big win for Ireland against Georgia uh, with 11-0 the last time. So, um, you know, you'd say with uh, some confidence that we should be going in expecting a win and, and expecting a, a, a decent scoreline there for Ireland but uh, in terms of for Courtney and also in terms of for the team um, you know how important is that stability to to get her into that role to get the team working together cohesively
1: it's, it's massive and I think the fact that one of the things Paul has looked to do is to try and you know it, 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 introduce a kind of a club-style atmosphere. I know it sounds like a cliche when it comes to internationals, but it's very important that you have the right mix of players and the right atmosphere around it because um, Ireland got off to, you know, what, what we would consider like a pretty rocky start. Losing at home to Sweden was a big setback last October. There was a huge push for the Irish international team at that stage. And losing 1-0, you're, you're on the back foot. To bounce back and beat Finland away 2-1 I think was huge. And then, you know, we're held by Slovakia at home. But since then, the confidence you gain from it's 11 nil against Georgia and whether Georgia, you know, it's, it's what do you learn from a game like that? But you, mm-hmm. not much, but you take confidence. And the whole thing with Ireland is going into this, like considering, um, you know, Georgia are expected to be beaten. It's, it's still a difficult away trip. I mean, the heat is, a, is going to be a factor here. And um, the humidity of when they actually play the game, and that's going to have to be a factor. It ain't going to be 11 nil this time around, if I don't think, but mm-hmm. I take a one nil or a two nil now. And how many times down through the years from the men's side of things, have the Irish team gone away? Played particularly poorly, but we've taken the result. We've got to win, get the win, and then it's all about September. Like that home game against uh, Finland on the first, and then followed up then with the with with a big one away to Slovakia on the sixth. That second place is up for grabs, and I think the right the likes of Courtney Brosnan because Pa trusts them and because they've overcome adversity difficult club situations to do what she wants her to do at international level tells me all about this Irish team that the manager's confident in the goalkeeper has belief and that's been reciprocated in the pitch
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no definitely like it's it's, um, you know as as you said those uh, the win from Georgia like you're not learning that much and um, you know, as I said, like we we would expect the win again. and and um it would be interesting to see what the score could be. but um, it can seem unsporting with the score line like that, eleven nil, but explain like how important the goal difference is uh, to try and get that qualification because I know as I was in the the stands myself, and um there was a a dad with his daughter and and her her young friend there. and, you know, I think it was like eight goals, nine goals. And then, you know, we want 10, we want 10 is what the crowd was shouting. And, you know, the da- I heard the dad say, you know, is it not enough? Like, have they not scored enough? Like, is, has Georgia not been put through enough pain? But like, obviously it is important from the World Cup qualification standpoint to actually get a, a good um, goal difference, despite um, it being maybe a little bit torturous for, for Georgia to be on the receiving end.
1: It's not nice to be on the receiving end of 11-0 but Mm -hmm. Ireland have suffered similar defeats in the past themselves so they know all about it I think I go back to the word confidence Katie McCabe Denise O'Sullivan and Saoirse Noonan getting her first senior international goal as well what that does for an international player irrespective of the opposition you can't quantify because they've Mm -hmm. gotten over the hump especially with Saoirse Noonan she's gotten the goal now she needs to kick on we know what Katie McCabe can do. We know what Denise Sullivan can do. But strikers are confident players. The more they score, the more they're likely to remain remember that touch, remember that feeling and into the next game. And it sounds almost cliché again, Dave, but it's true. Um, the one thing that you mentioned there, it's a very good point about goal difference. As it stands, we've plus 11 in Finland, a plus eight, and we've played a game less. And I'm looking at that finish game, you know, coming into, I keep going back to it, like, because should we draw? And should we get into a position where we have to get a result in our final qualification match, goal difference will be huge as will head to head. So, you know what? I think Fiora is going to tell this Irish team, go out and get the early goals as quickly as you can. Let's win the game first. Let's win the game first. That's the key thing here because don't forget, teams have off days. And if you have an Mm -hmm. off day in a really hot, humid condition, especially in Georgia, now at this time of the year, coming up it's not going to be easy it's going to be very difficult now they prepared properly for it but you know in the warm up and they've done the right things and that's great to see but Ireland need to win the game first I mean in terms of their goal difference they're very close they're better off than Finland right now and they're going to be even more better off probably after the Georgian game comes down to those last two matches but you're right I think if we can pull up a score in Georgia it will certainly benefit us
0: You can see that Katie Cave was hunting that day as well you know she had a, a couple of goals and all she wanted was more and more and more so Look, the team know how important it is, um, you know, to make sure that that goal difference is there and they really want to get the job, the job done. Um, obviously, the, the World Cup would be the, um, you know, first big tournament for them to qualify for. So there's all uh, fingers and toes crossed all over the country anyway to get that done. In terms of the game against the Philippines, it was a, a 1-0 win. So how important is that, you know, for what you're talking about there, confidence?
1: I think the most important thing about that Philippines game is to, is to shake off the rust you know if the season their season is finished and you know yourself when you get to the end of a season you know your your mind is in holiday mode every professional footballer is the same male or female so I think just having the camp and in the in the getting the win is 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 grand and it's again it's confidence booster. but I think it's It's the time that Vera Paul and our management team have to get their points across about what they want to do against Georgia. So that's the crucial thing. The match really, with respect to the Philippines, was secondary. It was just getting on the training pitch and nailing down what Ireland needs to do. You mentioned Katie McCabe and you mentioned, I go back to Denise O'Sullivan, these are hungry goal scorers. These are unbelievably talented footballers. Let's get them on the ball as quickly as possible. Let's get a couple of goals if we can. But more importantly than anything, Nia, let's not panic if things don't go yeah. away for first 10, 15, 20 minutes. There is no panic here. one nil will do. Won't be nice. Won't, you know, you'd be expecting a lot more. But in the grander scheme of things where Ireland currently sit, if they're lo- looking to qualify for World Cup, some days you have to grind it out in very hot, humid, difficult conditions. Yeah. So one nil or 2 nil will do me. But I think the time that they spent together around the Philippine Games was more important than the match itself. And hopefully it will uh, that will be transferred onto the pitch on the day itself.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I'm really looking forward to the game. It's been, um, I I didn't manage to catch the Philippines game myself, um, but I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the the World Cup qualifiers. Um, You know, it's it's an exciting outfit that we have at the moment. And as you said, there's a couple of of people there that are are really hungry to to get the job done and, and to get the goals in the back of the net. After the weekend at World Cup 2 in Poznan, Poland, Ireland came home with a total of six medals. Katie O'Brien won a gold medal and set a new world record in the PR2 Single Sculls Para event with an incredible world record time of 9.14.65. We caught up with sport Ambassador Katie O'Brien to talk all things gold medals, new world records, new double partners, and what's going on in Ireland that we're having so much success in rowing internationally. I'm delighted to welcome Katie O'Brien to the show. She's come home with a World Cup gold medal as well as a new world record. So, Katie, congratulations! How does it feel after uh, a brilliant weekend? Thanks,
2: William Neve. Yeah, it's uh, it feels great. Um, absolutely delighted to come home with the medal and uh, an absolute bonus to to come home with the world record as well.
0: That's very modest. Come on, tell us about the world <laughs> record. That's unbelievable achievement for you. I know you've been working so hard in the background for so so long like it's it's been some journey for you so come on tell us a bit more about the record
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um i suppose like the last time i would have got to race my single was like three years ago now but nearly nearly the full three years and just between lockdown and one thing and another i haven't really got to race um but i've been training the whole time so it's been obviously a frustrating three years having to put in that amount of work and not Mm -hmm. get to see where you are or what what kind of level you're at so um yeah, huge kind of almost sort of gratification to go out and to be able to show then, you know, what I have been working on and what I, what I can do. So yeah, it was, it was brilliant. I'm absolutely delighted to, to put a marker down now.
0: And I know that you have a, a family that are very proud of you at home. So how much <laughs> will it mean to them to bring home that gold medal?
2: Ah, yeah, they they're massively proud of me and uh, massive supporters. I know you met my brother, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he's like my brother and my sister and my mom. They they couldn't be happier and they're absolutely buzzing to get the news as well. They were all watching it live, so uh, yeah, they're 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 buzzing.
0: <laughs> In terms of the team as well, I know everybody was so proud of you and there was so much excitement. But it certainly set the tone for the weekend. And um, you know, claiming that gold and. You know, it was some uh, medal haul that Ireland took home. So, what was it like to be, um, you know, the first the first medal winner, and then to see so much success for the Irish team uh, following your result?
2: Oh, it was absolutely insane! Like it was an unbelievable weekend to be a part of it. You know, because it was so it's such a good weekend for Irish rowing and wi- Irish women's rowing as well. Um, and it was just performance after performance, like especially on the Sunday like you know I had my racing done early on the Sunday mm-hmm. so uh, getting to actually just watch it and enjoy it and just like it was just one one crew on to slip after another with a medal <laughs> and just waving them all in and like I, it was unbelievable like and like that they're such it is such a team and everybody wants everyone to do so well so yeah it was it was brilliant like it was an insane weekend for our show
0: yeah it was it was certainly podium after podium after podium and <laughs> um, pretty much for every event that Ireland was was entered in which is unbelievable yeah. What's like Ireland doing different at the moment? That's uh, reaping such rewards. Like obviously we've had, um, you know, exceptional results from Sunita before with two world championship wins, two European wins, and uh, we obviously have the women's four. I know they were uh, split across the four, and um, you know, the pair over the weekend. Uh, we're seeing Sunita pair up with um, Zoe Hyde from Glorglin. um, and then we also um had the lightweights who are flying at the moment as well. Like we put, we saw them. Uh, really announced themselves on the stage last year so like what's what's working for everybody
2: i think it's probably a mix of things i'd say it's training hard and also i suppose there's a lot of girls there like you said and they all want to be the fastest and the best and i mean one of the best ways to get better is to have someone there trying to take your seat because it drives (laughs) you on and makes you want to be faster and i suppose that internal competition um, is probably driving the girls on and, and getting them to be that fast um, so, yeah, I'd say there's, I'd say it's a mix of things between working hard and the right attitude and then that internal competition kind of all, all put together is a, is a recipe for success.
0: Yeah, no, certainly like I know uh, across a couple of the crews there, and, and it's the same on the women's side and the men's side, like, you know, there's a number of events that Ireland are going to enter and there's people fighting for seats across the board. So it's great to see the depth across the likes of the, um, the pair, the double and the four. Uh, I know the lightweight women there's a couple of athletes there fighting for seats and um, Lydia going into the double obviously uh with Margaret which wasn't the combination for the Olympics but it shows again the depth that's there and um, people pushing each other on constantly and um, does it make for like explain rowing I suppose a little bit in, in kind of that that crew uh environment where you're, you're fighting for seats but then you're working together as a team as well
2: oh uh, yeah like it's 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 um It's a credit to everyone who's involved that it's not, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a competition, but it's a competition to be the best as a team. And I think everybody understands that. And yeah, you want to be in the boat, but there's no one, there's no one ever, you know, it's not like there's any sourness about it. It's very much just like, whoever is the best, whoever's is getting the best scores that they make up the boat and um, like so it's and it, like everybody's happy that this competition because they know it's going to make them a better athlete too having mm-hmm. someone coming for your spot so yeah no it's it's, it's everyone like it like that it's it's just a great team environment
0: yeah it's a it's a unique sport in that way and, and as you said very much results driven you have to be able to maybe take it on the chin if you are the spare and hope that your time will come In terms of um, crew boats, so you've obviously had lots of experience in the single and lots of success in the single, but uh, the Paralympic Games has been a a dream of yours for a long time, and now you have a doubles partner. So tell us a bit about um, that relationship and the racing that you had at the weekend.
2: Yeah, so um, finally I have a doubles partner. Uh, His name is Stephen. He's a Ross Common man. He's 25 and uh, he's been rowing for like 18 months now. So he took to it so well and um, he's like, he's, he's flying it. For him to be at the level of going to a world cup after 18 months is insane Mm -hmm. really. Um, And yeah, every time we race the double, we're picking up speed. Um, And it seems to be just getting, you know, quicker and quicker all the time. I mean, it's a long road ahead. We're not where we want to be yet, but it's brilliant to be on the road. And like that, like it was really positive for us at the weekend for our first race, we were only eight seconds off the fastest boat and um, like, being being even beside we were right beside the rest of the crews up to 1500 meters so like that's really positive for us because it's it's something to build on and they've been rowing for you know up on 12 years and Stephen's rowing 18 months so Mm -hmm. you know our trajectory is is going to be a little bit higher so it's it's exciting for what we can do and yeah so it's just really positive to see where we're at already in the double and where we can go.
0: Absolutely and, and in terms of getting that experience for him like how do you find that he's taking maybe competing at that international level like taking it in the stride or is it something that uh, you have to work on the mental preparation and and um, taking it all in as well that's um, obviously something like that in, in a matter of 18 months is a, is a big jump.
2: Yeah he's absolutely taking it a stride and and improving every time you know it you learn so much every time you're race I mean every time I race I learn a lot as well whether it's managing nerves or you know um just there's so much to take in every time and 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 he is um he's he's, he's doing brilliantly and yeah he's, he's he's managing really really well yeah
0: so in terms of from um uh, that that goal that you have of, of getting to Paralympics um what are the things that you guys will be focusing on uh, developing and developing and improving um over the the next year or so
2: so the big one for us is going to be strength, especially with Stephen. You know, he he didn't really come from a sporting background. So mm-hmm. um it's one thing that he's going to work on his strength. And the other the other thing then is um working on like our finish and stuff. So we were up with, the, with our final there or with our first race, we were with everyone for the first, for the 1500 metres. So it was the last mm-hmm. 500 metres they took off and, and we just didn't have that in the bank. So that's just something that comes with practice and it's just going to be more time and more training. And so uh, really just, yeah, I suppose just kind of, honing in now on 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 improving little things um because we have the basics there so it's just improving little things now to try and get us up to where we need to be to qualify for Paris yeah
0: and for people that don't know I guess um the race that you're doing is a it's a two kilometer race but previously it was one kilometer so from your perspective how has that transition been has that been something that's played in your favor
2: yeah definitely for me because prior to it being 2000 meters it was only a thousand meter race and you you didn't really need to be an athlete to do a thousand meters it's only four or five minutes so you just have to put the head down and you know All go it. for it whereas now it, you have to be kind of more athletic and you need to have stamina and you need to you know build up the miles and you can't just be a big strong kind of ox yeah. like you need to you need to actually be have a, a, an aerobic fitness there so it, it suits me and uh yeah and it's nice as well that you're kind of you're racing the same distance as everybody else so it feels just the exact same you don't feel any different and you know it's very mm-hmm. inclusive so yeah i'm delighted with it being two kilometers
0: so we'll leave we'll leave the 1000 meters to the masters rowers for now <laughs> and um, yeah we'll, we'll watch with excitement as, as you're progressing over the over the 2k and um, in terms of um racing experience i know that you're trying to get as ma- as many races as you can uh, internationally and domestically and i know you were head-to-head with steven last year and um, so has, has there been any days like is, it, is he catching up on you every day? Has he beaten you yet or, or how is it in camp between the two of you?
2: Um so he's passing me out on the row machine now. So he's he, yeah, he's pulling he's pulling stronger scores than I am now on the earth, which is great. I still have him on the water, but he's coming for me. He's coming for me. He'll be he'll be I'd say in the next few in the next month now, hopefully I'm hoping too that you know he'll he'll be he'll be flying past me the in the boat. So yeah, no, he's he's making strikes the whole time.
0: And that's something obviously as a team that you can both benefit from where, you know, he's always trying to catch you, but you're always trying to hold him off. So, you know, inevitably everybody's getting faster and, you know, you're working together as a team. So then the the team, the exactly. team when you're together is. is again, it's awesome.
2: it's that it's that internal competition again. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's brilliant. It drives each other on. Like I mean, yeah. every session, you know, you're, you'd be peeping over to see what kind of scores and it's, it's 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 how you get good. It's how you get better. So it's great to have that going on as well. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well look we're delighted for you that you have a, have a partner anyway and great to see you getting so much experience and su- such success on the international stage. Uh, in terms of the rest of the season what's on the agenda?
2: Yeah so hopefully fingers crossed we'll get to go to Europeans now Um, they are the second week of August Um, they're in Munich um, and all going well there then we get to go to the world championships again in um, Czech Republic in mm-hmm. the end of September. So yeah it'll be a quick time coming around it's so- only seven weeks now to the Europeans, and then seven weeks again after that till the World. So it'll actually fly in. Um, but a good block of training now, and hopefully we'll we'll uh, get to get to race a good race in uh, Munich. So,
0: in terms of power rowing, I know that uh, with the likes of the World Cups, like everybody doesn't come. Um, to these different co- these different competitions like not all countries show up so is it difficult maybe to to get competition sometimes and then to be prepared for something like europeans and world championships or are enough people are enough countries sending uh crews for you guys to race and, and really uh, get to know your competition and get that experience
2: it is difficult sometimes because like you know you're going and you're hoping that people are going to e- everybody will enter because th- there, there's a smaller mm-hmm. pool of para athletes than there is able-bodied athletes so you're kind of hoping countries will enter um but at the same time there is usually one or two countries that you know what caliber they are and maybe they aren't all there but you know that one or two are so you can kind of base it off that um but yeah you'd be right there like you know you don't always get as much entries in the world cup as you'd as you'd like but um you can kind of base it off know where where those countries that do show up where they are and where their stats Mm -hmm. are so you can kind of get an idea like that but at home then obviously there isn't really any competition for us so again it's just that internal competition between Mm -hmm. um the crew myself Stephen, really um until you go abroad yeah
0: yeah yeah no i guess for again for the audience so there's there's three world cups then there's the european championships and then there's the the world rowing championships but Um, It's obviously a very expensive sport to be involved in and uh, transporting um, boats all over the world to take part in some of these races uh, means that countries don't always attend all of these events because of the expense. So uh, what we're talking about here is just how much experience and exposure people can get. Um, A podium finish at a a World Cup again, you know, we're we're, we're celebrating such great results at the World Cup, but that doesn't mean anything for the European Championships or the World Championships. So you'll have your your work cut out for you there. Um, Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Wishing you and, and the Irish team um, all the very best of luck over the next few weeks. We'll be catching up with all the action and uh, reporting uh, and sharing the news with the audience. But again, huge congratulations on the gold medal, on a world record and on the success that yourself and Stephen are having together.
2: Thanks a million, Eva, and thanks for having me on as well.
0: A quick reminder that if you're enjoying the Her Sports Show, be sure to subscribe on YouTube or on your podcast platform so you can keep up with every week's episode. Now back to the show. That was Katie O'Brien there. We'll move on to the next story in The Times is that uh, FIFA are reviewing its uh, gender eligibility rules. So FIFA has uh, confirmed its reviewing its gender eligibility regulations as uh, world's uh, sports governing bodies scramble to establish policies that will make their competitions fair and inclusive across the board. The inadequacy or absence of uh, existing gender policies was brought into sharp focus this week when swimming body FINA announced a ban on athletes who have gone through male puberty from competing in women's events. In addition, FINA announced it would work to establish a separate open category for swimmers whose gender identity is different from the sex they were assigned when they were born. A FIFA spokesperson said it was not in a position to go public on prospective changes to its existing gender policy but confirmed a review is currently taking place the spokesperson said fifa is currently reviewing its gender eligibility regulations in consultation with expert stakeholders FIFA thereby takes guidance from many stakeholders medical legal scientific performance and human rights as well as the november 2021 ioc framework on fairness inclusion and non-discrimination on the basis of gender identity and sex variations so we've seen a lot of um, changes go on in the, in the past couple of years, but particularly in the last week, that's the third uh, governing body that has uh, taken some form of action on transgender athletes competing against women. It's in a matter of time before we see some of this moving closer to home.
1: Um yes I think it's a straight answer Nia, to that question absolutely and look with FIFA as usual I wouldn't be relying on FIFA to, to take the lead on anything they've obviously sat back and watched uh, very carefully what the swimming yeah. rugby league as well have decided to do and I think the key thing you mentioned there uh, in in the newspaper passage is the lack of policies so mm-hmm. like anything um you know you start you start going into gender eligibility and talking about regulations without policies what you do is you leave yourself open to uh, Litigation, probably from yeah. the athletes, and I think that's only fair. A transgender athlete who wants to swim uh, in World Championships, who wants to play rugby league, or who wants to play at an international level, um, will have the right—you know—will have the right to have their say, both in court and and probably through the media as well. The thing is, with gender eligibility, it's like you know, the consultations with expert stakeholders, FIFA, and putting out all these kind of sound bites during the week. I think, like like the others they're just waiting they're standing back to see the yeah. first person to come out and, and, and question this and openly correctly question this um look it's, it's such an emotive subject and it's so it's so it's easy to turn around and say oh well if, if everyone if the swimming authorities if rugby league and if fifa are doing it then everyone's going to say the same thing and that's the end of it it certainly is not and mm-hmm. one of the things i found interesting as well this week just in reading up on it like fifa have been saying it'll be in a case-by-case basis which i mean it, that, that no, alone is, is opening themselves to...
0: Yeah, that maliquity. sounds problematic.
1: Yeah, and it does. And it, what it does is it kicks the problem down the road. it's not, yeah. Sorry, not a problem, but it kicks the issue down the road. It's not a problem, it's an issue, apologies. And that's not, that's not actually grasping the situation or, or mm-hmm. what we actually need are the governing bodies to come together and to make a definitive subject on it because I think swimming... Kind of said something like Fina, sorry, Fina in the swimming authority said that, look, an open category is possible here. Mm-hmm. An open category is being just for transgender. Now, I'm not sure a transgender athlete would want that. I'm sure a transgender athlete, you know, be a he or she will want to go and do and compete at the level that they feel they're entitled to compete at. Yeah. Bottom line with this, Niamh, is, as you said, it's an emotive subject. It's not going to be solved this week. It's not going to be solved in the next couple of years. It's going to run and run and run mm-hmm. until it's taken to the highest possible, I think, legal authorities and somebody finally makes a definitive subject or uh, decision on it. But just to, 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 to finish on it, I think the fact that FIFA have come in after FINA and the Rugby League, I think FIFA are probably the biggest organization with the biggest clout, and that's drawn a lot of headlines. And I Mm -hmm. think it will push it on a little bit further and maybe a bit quicker. But I don't see an end in sight. I just don't see an end in sight because a transgender athlete will question this and will look to do what they think is fair to them and which they have every absolute right to do.
0: Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, it is interesting that more organizations are talking about it and it needs to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, You're completely correct. Like, it's not going to it's not going to be solved this year in terms of, you know, finding place for everybody in sport and figuring out what the fairest way is for everybody to be allowed to compete. Um, But it is good that we're seeing some of the international bodies, um, you know, starting to explore it a bit more. Hopefully it will, as you said, there will be more uh, definitive decision-making happening. Um, Something that stood out to me and that I thought was interesting was that, um, you know, FINA are talking about that open category. Um, What are are your thoughts on that? Like I thought it was a, I, I thought that's a, it's a it's a good stance. It's a good position to to be doing
1: that. It's a start, and it's it's an open category for trans women in some events, is what mm-hmm. they've said. And there again, there's the words that worry me. And there are some events, and you yeah. know, hoping uh, to create a working things like when you hear words like that, it is encouraging. But like, again, I go back to the athlete. What does the athlete want? What does the athlete say in this? Yeah,
0: well, I, I think the sum like you have to be you have to be fair to the organizations, and like you have to think about like the start of the you know the Olympic and the Paralympic games. Like from I, I can't remember exactly, but I, I believe the Paralympics started with like five sports. So that's only some sports. Like you have to start somewhere, and and if you think of the likes of swimming, like up until and um, you know this Olympic games, I believe you know it was. 800 meters for women and 1500 meters for men. And, and, and that was it where last, uh, in, in 2020 or well, 2021 it was, um, you, uh, a man could raise 800 meters or, and, or 1500 and, and the same that 800 was available for women and 1500 available for men. So you're not always going to cater for everything, like for the, the, a sport like swimming, there's an extensive list of events. And if you have too many events, and I think part of the, uh, difficulty Uh, that we're going to see um probably particularly at international level is that you may not actually have enough people subscribe to compete in an open category so if you have too many events on offer you're going to have one person in one event one person in another event there's going to be no competition so i think from in in their defense in in that respect you know maybe how like starting off with four is something that's reasonable if you you want people to to actually be able to compete
1: i don't I don't disagree with that but at the same time if I'm a transgender athlete do I want to compete in an event with four other transgender athletes or do I feel I deserve to be in yeah. the own? one and that's really the, that's what's going to come down to I think the open category in theory is an idea that might work but the reality is. the open is,
0: category open uh, is it just for transgender athletes or can anybody enter it?
1: Good question. That's a very good for, question. For me open
0: category until you kind of mentioned it there like the open category that I would see is that actually anybody can go and enter it and that's how it works and I think I think that could be something that's interesting, and um, whoever's the fastest is the fastest, and um, it, it's it's open for everybody to to be involved in. Um, I,
1: I, I think we go back to it. It's inclusivity again. It's it, yeah. there's so many like, and there's this is this is no critical time for this decision. I think that we both agree on that. That it's come to the mm-hmm. point now when FIFA are getting involved that a decision has to be made or a policy has to be drawn up but until a policy is drawn up that everybody agrees on that nobody's going to agree on yeah. i don't know how long this is actually going to take an open category in theory is a good idea i think but i go back to it if i'm a transgender athlete do i want to, do i want to why should i have to go into an open category why can i not be in the category that i think i belong in and that's where the crux of the issue will lie it will go to court it will be litigated and then a decision will have to be made and then who knows after that but until all the other main sporting organisations the olympic olympics included um, come in together and, and come to some sort of, a, an agreement. I don't think they're going to come to sort of a, a common policy, but they yeah. have to have some sort of policy before they start making these decisions. And that's the problem. No, no, there's a push on, but there's no policy to fall back on it. So we don't know where we are.
0: I think what's important is the communication between the organizations, but I interviewed uh, Joanna Harper and um, she's a, a trans uh, runner and um, her transition was from male to female and she actually evaluated. Uh, she's done a lot of um, the science on it and I think is in a very uh, unique position to be able to have experienced herself and have done the science um, on uh, researching the, the uh, impact um, of transitioning on one's body. Because I know a lot of people are talking about um, you know, the, the differences of going through male puberty versus female puberty and uh, testosterone, among other things. Um, and the, you know, advantages or, you know, disadvantages that an athlete could be at based on the, um, how, they, how they went through puberty, I suppose. But um, like she said, as uh, somebody that had, had uh, gone through the transition and, and who's uh, doing all the research, that, like there are physiological, uh, you know, differences there that, that can't be ignored. And I think uh, while what you're saying around, you know, where are trans athletes going to see themselves competing, And there also has to be an understanding across the board from the the governing bodies uh, to athletes um, of of whatever background that there are physiological differences and you can't, I think, get into competing in sport and just say, because you feel you belong there, that it's it's reasonable to expect to be able to maybe compete in a category when the science is there, which, you know, it is growing and there's a lot of further research has to be done. but there are physiological differences. So you can't be naive and people can't just say because they feel that they belong in some events um, that like I, I understand, you know, going to going to court might happen, um, but there, there's going to have to be um, definitive decisions uh, to make sure that it is, it is fair across the board.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a definitive end point on this because so many different organizations, Niamh, and I don't disagree with what you've said there and, and, and the person that you would have interviewed and, and the science that, that is there,
0: yeah there's a long way to go on the science don't get me wrong like she said because part of it is like the the amount of um trans athletes in the world is so much smaller than people think that's the thing
1: for no uh it's but like the policy has to sit there for the future has to be reviewed yeah. down through the years, so in time, who knows how many will be there uh, in terms of competing? And transgender athletes want to compete at the highest level. But I go back to it whether you're transgender or not, if you're an athlete, you want to compete at the highest level, so you're going to want to compete against the best. So, an mm-hmm. open category for transgender, while it's it makes sense on paper, it's not until you actually ask the athlete in question, Well, what is it this mm-hmm. you know you're looking for? and that's where the crux is. And my big worry with it is because no one wants to touch the subject because it's taken so long for it to come to a head now and because FIFA have waited, weighed in only after FINA did, said what they said and the, and the Rugby League did the same we won't get a common policy across all these organizations mm-hmm. so it will vary so a transgender athlete when it comes to football might be different when it comes the rules might be slightly different when it comes to again for swimming and where's the inclusion? Yeah well that's happen? the
0: thing that Joanna was saying um, was that um, for some events uh, depending on the physiological changes as somebody transitions that there will potentially be some events where uh, trans women and biological women can compete on, on pretty much an even playing field, like things like ultramarathons and stuff like women are um, winning ultramarathons outright so that the uh, physiological advantages or disadvantages, there's not, there's not really something there. But then she was saying about uh, power and strength based sports um, that that's where, uh, you know, you may not be able to have um, uh, trans women competing in, uh, you know, women's events and um, so I think it might be time to catch up with Joanna again and see what her science has Absolutely. said and, um, yeah. you know, see what, what her opinions are on it, because it, it's certainly a, a subject that we're all trying to learn more and more about all the time.
1: Yeah, I think we'll be talking about this again if, very soon <laughs> and in, in time, but it needs to be talked about and it needs to be talked about. I suppose it needs to be debated in the public forum to keep it at, yeah. keep it at the front. Like, as you said, it's not it there's no straightforward answer to it. But I always go back to the athlete. Yeah transgender and whatever, transgender or not, what does the athlete, what is the athlete going to want? They're going to want to, p- to compete in the highest possible competition. And if an open category is not that, then they're going to question it and they're going to possibly in, rightly in some cases, but in terms of inclusivity, in terms of fairness, until we have a common policy, which we won't have, but until we've proper regulated policies for each of those organisations, I, I, I think this is going to run and run.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it certainly is going to take quite an amount of time. So it'd be something we'd be uh, you know constantly watching out for. Um, i'll ask one more question it's not an easy one on this topic but you know we're talking about the elite side of things but there also is um you know local and domestic uh, competition as well and um you know for every uh, you know young girl young boy um you know trans athlete um or not you know it's a what they're competing at locally is the the biggest thing for them and um, how do you think we should navigate um competition domestically that's not international competition uh, to make sure that it's inclusive and uh, fair for everybody that's involved
1: i don't think you can at uh non-international level is the is my honest answer and i don't mean to be fair smart about the, the people that i'm talking about here a, a young transgender athlete just wants to be an athlete mm-hmm. and um especially young kids and very young kids at, at a, at a, a, you know, a tentative age, you've got to be extremely careful with, um, especially like the older generations, your wording and how you speak and how you talk around the subject. I mean, at international level, you're talking about people that have matured at a certain, they're at a certain age physiologically and mentally. So they're able, they know the the extra strain that comes with being a transgender athlete, unfortunately, they, they're probably mm-hmm. getting ready to re- use to handle that. But for a kid in a national meet or a kid just in an ordinary athletics meet, I don't, I, I think, uh, who they are, um, is more important than what type of athlete they are. Mm-hmm. I don't think, it. again, I, I think this will become, I don't think there's anything you can do about it right now in terms of how do you regulate it or how do you how do you assess it. I think until we go back to it, until there's an, an international policy that can be fed down to national yeah. level, there's nothing you can do. There's, there's things you can question, there's things you can argue, mm-hmm. but it's, it's continue And as time goes on, Niamh, this is the thing, there may be only a small number of trans, transgender athletes out there at the moment, but that will grow. As time goes on, and we need, we need to look down the road 20, 25 years as well. Where will we be with it? And the policy has to be careful to reflect that and to give, to be as inclusive. I go back to the word again. It's got to be as inclusive as possible. I mean, if you, I, I, I finished the point, if you're a young kid, a transgender athlete and you're at a local meeting, you're told, well, you can't run in the big race here, but there's an open category for yourself and one other person to run in. How, do, how does that make them feel? Is that what they actually want to do? Or do they actually just want to run the race that they feel they belong in? And that's what it boils down to. It there's no right or wrong answer, unfortunately, at the moment. But we're looking for guidance from the very top, and we haven't got yeah. it yet because we don't have the regulation. But you know, I think just being as fair as you possibly can to young people, especially at that point in their lives, is more important than any race or, or who they're racing against.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that we need to take the lead from the international bodies, um, so that we can then feed it down into the local organisations and have everybody working together to. Um, you know, make sure that's fair across the board because we're hearing a, a lot of different things happening in a lot of different localities, and uh, it'd be great to streamline them um, just to make sure that whatever the fairest thing is um, happens for uh, both young people and uh, elite and international athletes across the board. But um, look, we'll we'll touch base on this again in the future. And um, I think we we can move on to the athletics national championships. So uh, so we'll have the athletics national championships in Morton Stadium this weekend. It's sure to be a, a hot event. We'll see Rashida Adelecki, Sophie Becker, Phil Healy to name just a few. So, for you, who are who are the athletes you're most excited to see in action?
1: Oh, the the 100 meters final. I think the women's 100 meters final is probably the standout one because, as you said, Rashida Adeleki is going to be there, um, and it's the only at the moment as we as as we speak, it's the only um, competition that she's actually entering that weekend. I mean, look. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows she's, a, I suppose, it, it's just, just to see her going in the 100 meter itself is going to be exciting. But the fact she's up against Molly Scott and also Joan Healy uh, from my neck of the woods here down in Cork, uh, Joan Healy, who's who's o- overcome a lot of injuries over the last couple of years and now under the tutelage of Dervil O'Rourke. And I'd be very interested to see how she goes. But mm-hmm. for Rashida, I mean, somebody that's on scholarship in the United States, anyone that's working out of the University of Texas is, a, is an amazing talent. You don't get into there unless you're a, you're a prodigious talent, and that's clearly what she is. Mm-hmm. I think the fact, Nev, that she holds the 60, 200, 300, and 400 meter records... And doesn't hold the 100 record i think that's why i'm i'm assuming i'm just getting into her head here now thinking that she's putting all her eggs in one basket and going for the 100. um that alone should should make the her her competitors sit up and take notice um but in molly scott she's got somebody like the the carlos sprinter like this is someone that equaled and then better the 60 meters record in a couple of hours this is a serious Mm -hmm. talent as well and these are just the three off the top of my head that i think are probably going to make the 100 meters final and and make it um make it a spectacle, a real spectacle in Martin Stadium this weekend. There's a lot to look forward to, but I think that 100 metres final and those particular athletes that I've just mentioned there, including Rashida, which a lot of people are going to want to, looking forward to seeing, um, I think is, is is probably the marquee moment.
0: Yeah, no, definitely uh, seeing Rashida on, on home soil will be something uh, really exciting. And I was speaking with Molly recently and she's certainly uh, grafting a lot. She's always looking to be faster. And, and I think, you know, they enjoy the competition. They enjoy being, you know, pushed further and further um, a lot of people had hoped to see Rashida and Phil go head to head, but unfortunately, we won't see that. Were you disappointed not to see them entered in any of the same events?
1: Yes, I think I think most uh, you know athletics fans and even armchair fans would have loved an opportunity to see these two two go uh, you know toe to toe certainly in, in that range. And like when you consider that Phil, you know, she's done uh, she finished seventh in the Diamond League already this year in her first Diamond mm-hmm. League outing, and she clocked I think it was a fifty two close to fifty two seconds. Um, which is a fantastic run. Um, She's somebody in form, but I think the fact that they're building towards the rest of the year right now, uh, they probably felt, I don't know, maybe there's a bit of mind games going on, I'm not too sure, but maybe they just felt that, the, or maybe Rashida felt that there's, there's no need for her to... Mm-hmm to get involved in this but I, I think it's the fact of that record that she doesn't have the national record if she takes the national yeah. record at this meet it's a clean sweep and I mean who else in, I don't know has anyone ever done that in, in the history of Irish athletics it's, it's
0: such a range of, of events mm-hmm. and to have them all at, at one time is amazing so uh, yeah look I think you could be onto something there that she's she's looking to have them all in one go and uh, we're seeing a, a lot of PBs at the moment so Irish athletics is certainly in a healthy place
1: it is. I mean, we we mentioned Phil Healy there. We didn't mention Sarah Lavin. We didn't mention Sophie Becker. I mean, like, has there ever been? Has there ever been a better time? Than you have to be a young girl watching athletics on Irish TV and have so many names, you know, across uh, even in the Diamond League section and across the world mm-hmm. and making headlines. Not just every couple of months, but every couple of days now. And I think that's the big thing in terms of the media push. We're seeing these names more and more and it's getting it's it's seeping into young girls' psyches because they can, they, yeah. they can associate with Phil Healy. They can associate a lot of people as well. will still associate with Derville O'Rourke uh, from her work on television and from her fantastic career as well. And I think, look, I think Rashida is probably the one that's going to be the big breakout star of this year. I think she's the one that could probably mm-hmm. medal at one of the major championships if she stays injury-free and she keeps going the way she's going. She looks like she's going to do that. But I think all around, you know, those names that I just mentioned off the top of my head as well, those athletes, Phil Healy as well, is one of the most well-known athletes around the world now, and, and rightly so. Um, this could be, in the next two to three years, it could be a golden period for Irish female athletics. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's a lovely thing to happen. And in the middle of so many other sports clamoring for attention correctly through the medium, uh, women's rugby, women's soccer. We were talking about already ladies, football, camogie, especially on this Island. Um, athletics is up there. Athletics is definitely up there and it, it, it's up there on merit with the quality of athletes that the country is producing. And I think, I, I just think it's a lovely time to be a young fan, especially watching all of this happening in front of you. And if you, I think if people get a chance to go to the Martin stadium this weekend, they absolutely should because over the Saturday the Sunday, they're going to see the cream of, of Irish athletics and uh Uh, I think we're on the cusp of something special over the next couple of years. uh, And hopefully all those names that I mentioned can, can make their mark.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting to be talking about um, Irish sprinting in such good form, you know, like we're talking there from the hundred meters to the 400 meters. And then last year between the 800 and the 1500, there were so many names, uh, you know, fighting for Irish records, fighting for Olympic spots. Uh, So the 815 is certainly going to be really exciting as well. Um, I don't think any of the the events on the women's side of things are going to be dull. they are going to be top names pushing the boundaries all the time. As I said, we're seeing records all the time as well. So uh, I think it's going to be a really special weekend. And I completely agree with you. I'd back anybody to go down and and have a look. Like you're going to see the top talent and and um, yeah it's going to be a really really exciting weekend so some of the names that we've mentioned do your homework find out who else is competing in the events and uh, yeah certainly get down to tune in um, I would love to be there uh, uh, juries out on whether I can or not I'm supposed to be racing in Cork but uh, I'm, get, I'm getting worried that the weather's bad so it mightn't be the worst uh, fallback plan from a personal perspective to get to Morton Stadium and, and catch the action in the golf, um, the 2022 KPMG Women's PGA Championship is being played at Congressional Golf Club, marking the first time the iconic venue will hold a women's professional golf tournament. Uh, two LPGA majors have already been played in 2022, with Jennifer Kupcho winning her first major at the Chevron Championship and Minji Lee uh, winning the US Women's Open at Pine Eagles. Leona has been in uh, good form. Uh, she just lost to Jennifer Cup Show last weekend in a playoff. So uh, what can we expect from uh, Leona over the next couple of weeks?
1: Oh, I, I think we can expect a, a serious bounce back. I mean, it was just fantastic on Sunday night, late into Sunday night, while well, the US Men's PGA was, was was on TV and taking a lot of attention. Everybody on social media was talking about Leona McGuire. Yeah. I mean, it's what... We I
0: just saw so many tweets. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's not even the playoff for me to be honest with you. I think the one thing about the playoff, as exciting as it was and disappointing as it was for in the end Cup Show, deservedly winning, I think, is the fact she was seven shots behind the overnight mm-hmm. leader, and like she just reeled off. Like I think in the birdies in the first six holes, four birdies in the first six holes. It was the attitude, it was the stance, it was just that you know, I won't say arrogance, but just the confidence in herself like to go mm-hmm. and chase it. I mean, how many male or female? Golfers at the top level of their game are able to cut back in a seven-shot lead, and it's not like the leaders were dropping shots either at the same time. So I think that alone tells me that we've got somebody who's in form, and we've got somebody who's now got the bit between her teeth and has seen what it takes to win a championship. I mean, Cupcho is no slouch; that was her second uh, mm-hmm. tour win, like. I think at, at, at this weekend, especially a congressional, one thing about congressional, which people may not know, it's been completely changed over the last two years. It's where uh, Rory McIlroy would have first started, won his first one in 2011. But the course, the way it used to play, they've cut down a lot of the trees. They've made it a lot. It used to be very, very difficult and a very, very, uh, one of those courses where you had to go up the hill to get to the green in most of the, in most of the, on most of the fairways. Uh, and that is still the case, but it, it's, I think it's going to play into her strengths. Mm-hmm. And her iron shots, and on, on, on and like Alex, she was a bit wavered off the tee. Now in the playoff itself, but that's a small complaint. It's just step back and look at where she came from to get into that position. That tells you everything you need to know. Now it's a crowded field. There's some fantastic golfers on mm-hmm. this weekend, but why not? I mean, why not? She's shown that she can hang with the best of them. And if she can, you know, if she's not seven shots behind going into the final round, Leona McGuire has a serious, serious chance on current form. If everything goes to plan, on really rattling this and there's even a real, real show here in the.
0: Yeah, no, look, we've uh, we've seen her unshakable in the Solheim Cup, and then we've seen her unshakable there, um, you know, last weekend as well. So how how confident will she be going into this week?
1: Well, I guess the fact that you've you know, if if you're heading into the final round of any tournament, I would imagine as a professional golfer, like you know, your mindset is look, I might as well go for this. And sometimes you can be very haphazard about that. It was the controlled manner she just stuck to the she just kept chipping away at the lead and the mm-hmm. confidence grew and grew and grew. And as I said, it, like in, in the playoffs, it was only a wayward uh, kind of orange sh- shot that caught her, I think coming into that final hole and Kupcho took advantage. So I suppose if she's looking at it from there and she's looking at, looking around her and seeing who the other contenders are this weekend amongst the top, I mean, Kupcho is obviously there. And there's a couple of other names as well, but her strength, I think in Leona McGuire from what I've seen of her. And when I've been, had a chance to see her on, on TV and certain, certain, events like this is she's just relentless. She's Mm -hmm. just relentless. She's one of those golfers that I don't know how they do it, uh, especially male or female. Like if I, if you make a mistake on a course, you know, you're, you're just crestfallen. This is the end of the world. Forget this. I have no hope. No, there's none of that. The, the, the the body language, the demeanor, and just the attitude she has. And I I don't mean to kind of sound arrogant, but this is a confident athlete who has Mm -hmm. Mm in control of her, in, in control of her game right now. And I think that's the thing off the tee. She's going to have to be accurate. She's going to haps, absolutely have to be accurate. If she is, her iron shots and certainly her putting, her putting was sensational the final round the last day. What, she's in the mix. And I think when all of the fast, as a golfer, when you hear them speak, all when all of the facets of their game, they're coming together at the right time, that's when they're at their most confident. That's when they're ready to take on the world. And I see no reason whatsoever why she shouldn't be in the mix this weekend, certainly considering what we've just seen over the past weekend and, and, and the, the way she fought back from seven shots down to force a playoff and could have very, very, very easily won it.
0: Nelly Korda is the defending champion, but she's still recovering after a blood clot surgery. How competitive do you think she'll be this week?
1: Oh, I think it's something like that. I think that's going to play. It's how it plays in our mind, you know, because mm-hmm. um, don't forget like th- these tournaments, th- whatever about the mental strength you have to have the physical side of it as well, depending on how the, w- what the way the weather is and your game is. I think for for a KPMG Women's PGA Championship, you need to be playing at a high level coming into it to feel good about having a chance of of actually to, of winning it i think that's just mm-hmm. a general statement so with that kind of a with that kind of a medical issue you know i mean she's very mentally strong uh, certainly but i think ming ji lee is being mentioned as well as another player that mm-hmm. might actually show up on the leaderboard and Celine Boutier is somebody as well that has also been mentioned so there's a lot of players clambering at the top along with Jennifer for Fardis and i think unless you have I, I just think with, with golf it's all about rhythm And you just see it, you know, golfers get into a good rhythm. They feel good. The confidence is high. They think less about what they're doing and the shots that they're looking for eventually come off. And if you're coming off a kind of a serious, you know, medical issue like that, I just wonder, mentally she probably is strong enough to to challenge, but physically and just getting over, you know, not having maybe the run-in that she would have preferred for something for a big tournament like this, I think might stand against her.
0: Yeah, it'll certainly be an interesting uh, interesting week of golf. And we'll obviously be uh, wishing Leona the best of luck. And um, for anybody watching, get involved in the conversation with us on Instagram and Twitter using the hashtag the Show. So, moving over to Gaelic football now, reigning champions Meath will be joined by 2021 finalists Dublin, as well as Mayo and Galway in the quarterfinals of the TG Car All Ireland Senior Championship. So, Meath came away with uh, just a point over Armagh. Was that much of a, an upset?
1: Um, I think on paper, uh, I think the fact that Armagh were seen to be holding the All-Ireland champions, people from the outside look in would say, yes, that, that that's that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a big result for Armagh. But this is an Armagh team, Niamh, that have won, won the Ulster championship and took down yeah. Donegal after extra time and did it, it deservedly. This is a team with my favorite player in the country, Amy Macken. I've said it before. I mean, I'm a Corkman, obviously. But Amy Macken is the one player I just absolutely love watching play football. Any boy or girl of any age, if you want to learn a bit more about Gaelic football, watch Amy Macken. Play. She is an unbelievable, prodigious talent. This is a serious Armati. And this is, I think, the fact that they've yeah. beaten Donegal, the confidence boost of that alone, they've been knocking on the door a few years for the last couple of years, same as Donegal, in and around those kind of outsiders that might win it. But I think the fact that they probably should. Have beaten me on the day is probably the thing they'll take from it more than anything. Get, taking a point is, is is crucial for them, obviously, it gets them into the quarterfinals of the All Ireland. Um, but I think the confidence boost that they'll take from that I mean, obviously, they're going to lose Blaheen Macken uh, to the AFLW later in the year, whenever they do exit the championship. But for now, if they've got her and they've got Malin and they've got Amy Macken firing in all cylinders, this is a serious opponent. And I think Arma are capable of taking out one of the big three. And the big three that I would say there are Meath, Dublin, and Cork, they're the three that I would think. All Ireland mm-hmm. Brendan Martin Cup is gonna is going to go to. But that doesn't mean Armand, that doesn't mean Kerry, and that doesn't mean Donegal. Um, having seen Donegal in the flesh at the weekend as well under Maxi Kern, very impressive second half. There's there's a few shocks and surprises coming in this championship yet, Nive. And I, I think it's it's a lot closer this year, which is fantastic news for the neutral fan and for fans of you know, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, but I do think I'd be very surprised if one of those three that I mentioned, me, Dublin or Cork, didn't actually win it in the end. But Armagh have shown that they can hang with the best. Donegal and Kerry have certainly shown, and Galway are coming. So it's a hell of a championship. We're heading into the business end of it.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Galway and Dublin. So they both, uh, you know, cruised to victory in their matches. Uh, talk to us a little bit about those games.
1: Yeah, Dublin needed that, and it, Dublin it, it was one eleven to not six against against Tipperary in the end. And Tipperary, Tipperary frustrated Dublin for a long time. I'd say longer mm. than Mick Bowen, the manager probably would have liked. But oh my God, you just look down through that team sheet, Nev. it's the same thing. Every time we look at it, you know, I hear Mick say, it's the odd comment, but I don't know how things are going to go. If you've got Neve Hederson, if you've got Hannah Turrell, if you've got Carla Rowe, I mean, my God, what, what an array of absolute talent. And this Dublin team doesn't get the credit it deserves for what it has achieved.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's because it's ladies football rather than men's football. Look at the reams of column inches that the men correctly have gotten over the last nine years I think it's seven all-earns in nine years from the Jim Gavin time from the men's side of things but what impresses me most about Mick Bowen and what impresses me most about Dublin is they lost for three or four finals before this ever started they suffered heartache after heartache against Cork most of the time in all-earned finals and usually in an era where a team, team comes together and they lose that many finals they don't ever actually go into win. look at the Mayo men's team you know it's very hard to come back year after year if you keep losing yeah. keep falling this Dublin team does not know failure. It does not do panic. And every year, Mick adds something new. Um, they would have been very disappointed to lose to me in last year's All-Ireland Final. Definitely, I know that. Right. And not because it was me, and not because just because they didn't win it. And yeah, I yeah. think Mick is back this year and this Dublin team has definitely got an edge to it. And those players that I mentioned, Nicole Owens, Niamh Heatherton, and, and Hannah Tyrrell and Carlo Rowe, I mean, if you've got that talent up front, you have a chance against everybody. They haven't been firing in all cylinders, but what impressed me the most about their win over Tipperary this past weekend is when it was frustrating for so long, they didn't panic, they didn't let the frustration get to them and they got the job done. And this match mm. against a very good Tipperary team, considering who they don't have this year, was a very good result. Um, as for Galway, I mean, um Karen Clonburne won the, the club championship this year, to beat Mornaby and the all club championship, big boost for Galway ladies football. And I think, the one thing that I've noticed with Dublin, if you're putting up 118 on anyone, I know it was Westmead and Westmead will be disappointed with the results uh, Olivia Deville looks like she's back to her best. And again, with Dublin, you know, Galway have an array of attacking talent, but do they have the belief that they can take down one of the big teams? That's the question now. I think this this Galway team still has not reached its ceiling. They were unbelievably done out of it at a semi-final a couple of years ago and they had moved to Crow Park at the last minute and I felt really sorry for them. But this is a Galway team on the up. But whether it's this year, I don't think it's this year, but if they can keep that team together and they can keep putting up scores of 118, they have an outside chance to take out one of the big guns.
0: So you're talking about lots of opportunity there. Like, Do you think it's uh, still Mead's championship uh, to lose? Or is there a much tighter championship than we maybe expected?
1: As a Corkman, I'm going to heap more pressure on him and say yes. Needs, <laughs> to lose. But I think he knows me well enough at this stage. I think Meath, uh, we talk about getting respect, uh, Meath, uh, they, they haven't come from nowhere either. This has been a three or four year project that I've seen yeah. come to fruition. They are the team to beat. They're clearly the team. They're a different animal when it gets to the knockout stages now. And the benefit of winning it last year, the confidence that we'll, Boost will give yeah. them. If Vicky Wall is still around, if she's not over in Australia before the end of the championship, that'll be a huge, huge thing for them. Mm-hmm. But this is a serious team. But I think Dublin are coming again and Dublin are getting Dublin are getting stronger with every match. And I think they they probably will meet in the semi-finals if things go to plan, if it goes to form but don't rule out Cork. Cork under a new manager, Shane Ronane, under a new management team, but it's the bulk of the team that's been there for the last couple of years. Uh, Unbelievable first half performance against Donegal, 2-9-1-2 at halftime and claimed this past weekend. Played the best football I've seen under Shane Ronane since he's taken over. Second half, not so much. Outscored eight points to three. So until Cork can put a full 60-minute performance together, I don't know if they'll be able to take down me or Dublin. They have to put in a full 60-minute performance, whoever you are, if you want to beat out of those two teams. It's a much closer championship this year, Niamh, to answer your question. me they are still the champions and still the team to beat, but I think one of Dublin or Cork, if they put in a full 60-minute performance, could take it from them this year. And don't rule out a shock or two, as I said. We haven't even spoken about Mayo. We haven't spoken about Kerry. We haven't spoken that much, a little bit about Galway and Armagh. It's just a brilliant championship this year, and it's not wide open. I think it's one of those top three. But right now, if you're asking me and twisting my arm, I would say Mead. I still, I think Mead, unless Cork and Dublin can put, put a full 60-minute yeah. performance, it's Mead's lose.
0: Yeah, I know. And as, as far as I'm aware anyway, it seems that Vicky Wall is around for the, the full season. I believe that she's made a, a deal um, with her AFLW team, that she can remain here before she goes over to play over there. But um, thanks so much for all of that, Jerry. That was brilliant. Um, that's it for the headlines this week. Um, the Hockey Royal Cup is fast approaching and after Ireland's silver medal, uh, heroic last time out, ambitions are at an all-time high. I caught up with Katie Mullen to see how preparations are going uh, for the Green Army. I'm now joined by Irish international hockey player Katie Mullen. Katie, it's great to have you on the show.
3: Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. I love the work you do, so it's fantastic.
0: Thanks so much. Uh, you're currently in the middle of playing uh, the South Coast Series uh, with Japan, so before four-match series. Um, you've had one win and one loss, so tell us about the competition so far.
3: Yeah, it's been fantastic uh, to get to play a team of the quality of Japan so close to a World Cup. Uh, it's such a great opportunity for us. We're building really well. I suppose these games for us, is very important, are all about performance and making sure that we're ready for the World Cup now. Uh, at the beginning of July so it's the last few tactical things that we need to work on in these games and I suppose the results don't matter as much but it's always nice to to get a win as well um, which was was the, uh, the case on Sunday so yeah we're in a good good place.
0: Yeah they've been two tight games uh, with you know 1-0 and, and 2-0 so that's uh, you know certainly um, you know a good thing and in terms of um, playing aside side like Japan, so they're currently ranked 10th in the world like how valuable is that?
3: Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I suppose you always want to, going into a major tournament, you always want to play teams that are better than you or ranked mm-hmm. better than you and uh, that are going to challenge you. And Japan are definitely doing that. Um, for us now, I suppose the the, the biggest thing is that um, Japan play a really fast, um, fiery style of hockey. Um, and it's quite different to the European style, which tees, tees up very nicely for our group game against Chile. So I suppose... Um, Japan gives us gives us that little bit of difference from the European style hockey that we're maybe more used to.
0: In terms of uh, the upcoming World Cup so you were involved in the the silver medal in the last edition so what has the the journey been like um, since then?
3: So uh, yeah it's been mad I suppose um, the the turnaround after the World Cup was quite quick to to set us up for our qualifying for our first ever Olympic Games. So uh, we qualified for that at the end of January, or at the end of 2019. And then of course COVID hit and there was kind of a sporadic uh, turn of events with in terms of how much we together and how much hockey we were doing. So um, coming off the back of then the delayed Olympics, our turnaround time has been really quick. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that you would normally experience where you would play two majors um, in consecutive years. So for us, it's been about, you know, uh, we had uh, six six retirements uh, mm-hmm. last year after the Olympics. So it's been a tight turnaround for introducing new players, um, some under-21s, under-23s, and getting them up to speed to prepare them for a major tournament. So uh, it's all been happening very, very quickly. We were blessed that the under-21s had a World Cup uh, mm-hmm. in the summer as well. So a couple of months ago. So it meant that, that that those girls were prepared for tournament hockey and they kind of worked, their fitness levels were brilliant and they've transitioned really well into our programme now from off the bag of that Junior World Cup.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about, uh, obviously there's the number of retirements and uh, who to watch. So who who has come up onto the team that you think will definitely come into their own um, over the World Cup and, and as they kind of progress through senior um, as there's now you know, six people that have um, come up their hockey sticks at the moment?
3: Yeah, I suppose, well, I think you'll see a lot more from the players that were our young players last year to mm. the Olympics. So the likes of Zara Malseed and Michelle Carey, who have the experience of an Olympic Games, but are still um, young and and maybe don't have as many international caps. So I think that you'll see them really step up. And then in terms of new, fresh faces, we have the likes of Cueva Perdue. She's a good Tipperary woman, um, comes off a, a camogie pitch or, or gap pitch, um, and she's a real hunter and fighter in the midfield. So um, I think she's definitely one to watch. And then Christina Hamill as well would be another one to mention. Um, it's been such a privilege for me at training to see these girls really come into their own and really flourish. And I'm the one that gets to see it week in, week out in Albertstown, but I can't wait now for them to go out on the world stage and um, show everyone what they've got. So, yeah, it's very exciting for us.
0: Yeah, it's uh, definitely, I think, something that everyone will be excited for. And I think there's been a, a lot more um, support and uh, recognition of the team, you know, since the since the silver at the World Cup. Uh, definitely people were tuning in to watch you at the Olympic Games, so it's great to see that you're getting uh, the recognition that's deserved. In terms of the the group, it's certainly a tough group uh, for the World Cup. So you have uh, Chile, Germany and the Netherlands. Obviously, the Netherlands are ranked number one, um, a very good outfit out there. We have Germany in eighth, Ireland in twelfth, and then you have Chile in 18th. So it's all very tight. Um, how do you make the preparations for um competing in that group and aiming to get out of it?
3: Yes, so there's a lot there's a lot going on in our group, I suppose. Um, it's fantastic, first of all, that we are playing the hosts in the opening game of the World Cup. I think that will be an amazing spectacle. And for us, you know we would rather play the Dutch in their first game and the pressure all the eyes everything will be on them so um we'll have that irish underdog mentality which is a great place to be we also have have hadn't played them a lot prior to the world cup final in 2018 and now we've played them a few times since with them being in our group at the olympics and us playing them at the Europeans. so we have um had that experience now of them and um we will, uh, I suppose, we will build on those those experiences going into that first game for us. It's about starting the tournament strong, um, and focusing on our performance in that game to ta- take us into the next game against Chile, which is a real target game for us. Um, I suppose you look at Chile and it's very similar to the position we were in four years ago. Um, they were kind, of, they're kind of ranked ranked higher than us. Um they haven't had the same experience of major tournaments and um, so they will have that kind of uh, mentality that we did the last time round, and we need to be conscious of that um, and make sure that they do, that, that we do our homework on them and they don't catch us by surprise and then the third game Germany again a team that we've had plenty of battles against in the last little while um, and I suppose we know them very well so that's something that um, we're discussing a lot in camp in terms of how we can exploit them and get something out of that game too. So like all tournaments, it's a tight turnaround time. You can't dwell on anything. Uh, you got to get control of your emotions pretty quickly after each performance in order to prepare best for the next one. So yeah, y- y- you, uh, you-, you learn how to-, how to play out these tournaments and how to deal with all of that. And that's something that we've talked about a lot and we're mm-hmm. looking to take now into the tournament.
0: For anybody that's listening that maybe isn't familiar with hockey or the World Cup format, can you give us a bit of a uh, talk through um, how you aim to progress through the competition?
3: Yeah, so um, the World Cup in hockey is uh, four groups of four. Um, The top of each group uh, goes straight through to quarterfinals, and then second and third in each group they play in a crossover. The interesting thing about this World Cup is that it's split over two host countries, so... Uh, Holland are hosting uh, two groups and then Spain are hosting two groups so we're in Holland in Amsterdam uh, the home hockey which is exciting and they have a brand new stadium and everything which is fantastic we're really looking forward to experiencing that Um, and then yeah so once they go through past the quarterfinal stages then the semifinals and finals will all take place in Spain. Um, we play our first game on the Saturday evening, um, which will be which is a sellout game. It was one of the first games to to, to sell out in the tournament, which will be amazing. And then we mm-hmm. have Sunday, Monday to recover, and then we play our second and third group game on Tuesday and Wednesday. So the tight the tight turnaround time there means that we have to recover really well to be prepared to play two games in a in a short space of time, and that's kind of how hockey goes. Um, it's it's very unique in that way that you play a lot of games in a mm-hmm. short space of time.
0: Aisha McFerrin is playing over in the Netherlands. Is she able to give uh, any inside scoop?
3: Well, no, we won't leak any secrets that we've maybe got uh, on the inside. But yeah, it's, it's a huge advantage. Aisha plays against those girls week in, week out at club mm-hmm. and she can provide a real good insight into them as players, but also the psyche um, mm-hmm. of the Dutch team. And I suppose that, that, often only spurs us on and gives us an extra fire in our belly. So, um, yeah, no, it's fantastic. She's a great asset to have, um, obviously, mm. on the pitch, but also off the pitch in terms of what she brings um, with regards to her insight of, of the Dutch team.
0: And I know we had a retirement in Nikki Daly, but I was talking to her at the weekend, and she was saying that, you know, as a team, the attitude has has been to make it very difficult to beat you. So is that the strategy going into this World Cup?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at um, most sports across Ireland, uh, the Irish mentality is that you're hard to beat. and um, mm. You're tough, dogged defenders uh, and you might only get, you know, a few chances in a game, but you'll defend a, a hell of a lot more. And I suppose that's something that we definitely pride ourselves in is our defence and our grit. Um, and that's something that we've been sort of working on a lot with the, the new group as well so that'll be a big thing for us um, at the World Cup is, is being hard to beat because I think mm-hmm. it really suits our character as people and as Irish people um, and that's where you, you see us flourish so um, yeah no it's, it's, it's a huge pride thing for us.
0: Absolutely I've one last question for you in terms of uh, you mentioned that the European hockey can be quite similar and then um, you know that you're, you're learning from the Japanese. So how different are the styles across the world?
3: Yeah, very different. So the Asian style is, is very quick, two-touch um, style hockey. Um, the Dutch and, and German style in Europe is a lot more structured. So the game, sometimes you pick your moments to when to slow down the game, when to speed it up, and you're looking to control phases a little bit more. Um, that,
0: that falls in line with their stereotype type, doesn't it
3: <laughs> it really does yeah and then um the um australasians so new zealand australia they play a lot more of a running game so and mm-hmm. um, they would pride themselves in in their uh, aerobic fitness and they look to carry the ball a lot more over distance um and and look to play more of a running game so uh, it does vary a lot but i mm-hmm. i suppose um that's, that's the exciting part about hockey is that when you go to the likes of a World Cup or an Olympic Games, you bring all those styles together and into play. And um, we are unfortunately aren't part of the pro league, so we don't get to play those different styles as often. And um, so I suppose being in a group at the World Cup with two other European teams, we uh, we really hope to progress and um, out Mm -hmm. of our group and maybe get to play some of those other styles as well so um but yeah no it's 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 exciting and and we're really really looking forward to it um and of course the world cup plays a plays a very close role in many of our hearts given given what happened in 2018 Um, Mm and this is a new group a new journey but um we hope to write our own chapter now and and i've no doubt that we can with the ability that we have in the team
0: yeah, look, it certainly sounds like you have been exposed um, very well over the, you know, the past couple of years to some of these teams, you know, playing the top teams in Europe, um, getting exposure to the different uh, styles, whether it's Japan, and I know you faced India in the Olympics as well. Um, we'll certainly be looking uh, forward to tuning in for the World Cup, but um, best of luck again win the other two games against Japan and uh, in the World Cup if we're not chatting to you before then. Thanks so much for taking the time, Katie.
3: Thank you, appreciate it.
0: We have a very busy weekend of sport coming up in Ireland and internationally. As mentioned, the Irish National Athletics Championships will be taking place this weekend at Morton Stadium on both Saturday and Sunday. Be sure to catch the action there. The 2022 KPMG Women's PGA Championship begins this week as both Leona Maguire and Stephanie Meadow will be in the field. In the TG Carr All-Ireland Senior Championship Round 3, Kerry play Westmeath, Cavan host Tipperary, Armagh face Monaghan, Cork play Waterford and Dublin face Mayo. In the Camogie Senior Championship, Antrim host Galway, Limerick play down and Kilkenny will face Offaly. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Her Sports Show. A reminder that you can catch this episode and every episode on YouTube, on our social channels and across every podcast platform app. Keep involved in the conversation and we'll see you next week. The Her Sports Show, live every Wednesday on YouTube and every podcast app.